Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Well, the, uh, the hits keep coming. Philip, you did great. God bless you. You, uh, you. you didn't even look like you flinched, so I, th- I think it's good. We're, we're good to go. And if that's, the, if that's the best the enemy has, we'll take it. We got it. No problem. We're going to keep going. This is Advent. Nothing could ruin Advent. Did you know there are only 28 more night nights until Christmas? Uh, am I the only one that knew that? I, come on. I mean, I mean all, sleeps or night nights, whatever you call them in your house, you grown up people, whatever. But, um, but in our house, that's a really big deal. I mean, whether you're, whether you're excited about the, uh, the, the, the family getting together again, as if, you know, last week wasn't enough, or, or you're excited about the presents, like some of us in our house, or you're excited about more food. You know, you've done the turkey thing. Now you're excited about the ham or the goose thing. I heard someone's having filet mignon, whose name will not be mentioned, but he may sit in the back of the tech booth. So I told him, if he hears a knock at the door on Christmas Eve, it's not Santa, it's me. I love filet mignon. But, but whatever is exciting for you, that's awesome because that's what Advent is all about. It's about that excitement, that anticipation, that, 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 that knowing that something or someone great is coming. And so your focus is on that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, we have right here, we have right here an Advent's uh, wreath. Uh, uh, you know what Advent's wreath is? Each Sunday there's a different candle that we light, and each Sunday, each weekend has a different theme. It's part of the Advent season. Then, of course, the candle in the middle, that's the one we'll light on Christmas Eve. Don't miss Christmas Eve this year. It's going to be awesome. We're going to do it outside, under the tent, under the stars. It'll be beautiful. We're even going to have live animals there for you or your kids to handle and pet, all kinds of fun stuff. But, but there's all kinds of great stuff about Christmas. I want in fact, in Germany, we even have something called an uh, Advent calendar. Maybe if you've been to Aldi, you've seen one of these. You, there's a little door for each day in, in December, and, and each day you pop the little door open. You pull a little candy, you know. For you parents, there's an adult version. You pop the door open. A little bottle of wine comes out so you can deal with all the excitement your kids are going through. But, but that just raises a level of excitement. It gets you so excited. In fact, Germans have a saying that I love. I'm sure you probably already know it by heart. It goes like this, die Vorfreude is die größte Freude, right? You probably say that to your kids every morning. And what that means is the, the anticipation is the greatest joy. And that is so true for us. We're so excited about that. So as we are excited about Christmas and the coming of Christ and all that means not only for us and our family, but even for our world. And that's why, that's why this, this Lottie Moon, Charlotte Moon, our very first missionary ever, that's why we've dedicated this giving time to her at Christmas because we want the whole world to hear this good news. And so we, we donate towards Lottie Moon so that that gospel message can be spread all around the world so that everyone can be there. So each Sunday we focus on a different theme. This Sunday, this Sunday we focus on the theme of hope. Yeah, about that. Um, you know, each Sunday we're supposed to talk about that, and each year we talk about these four themes, and boy, I'm ready for joy. I can't wait for love, and even when we get to peace, we got all kinds of stuff to talk about, but hope, that's a tough one. 
I mean, last year was hard enough. It was 2020. I mean, I, I, I hesitate to even mention those numbers in a public setting, but we all knew, know what happened in 2020. It was hard enough to talk about hope last year. The only good thing about last year was we had this thing called the vaccine coming. Just a few weeks later, we were all hoping that was going to change our world. We were all going to get back to normal. Well, here it is, 2021, and we, we know what happened. It seems like our world is only getting worse. The, the things that we hoped in a year ago really didn't come to fruition, really didn't change anything. In fact, if we had to be honest with ourselves, our world is going, may I say it, to hell in a handbasket. And our country is racing quickly behind. How can we have hope? Well, I got to be honest with you. I got nothing. So I'll see you next week. (laughs) I'm a pretty positive guy. I mean, it's hard to get me down. But can you imagine if you had a pastor named Jeremiah, like, like the Jeremiah out of the Bible? You may know something about him. He had a nickname. <laughs> His nickname was the Weeping Prophet. He was a happy guy. <laughs> so uh, pretty much all of the news that he had was bad. In fact, the time that he, that he served God as a prophet, you remember what a prophet was? We, we talked about this before. A prophet literally means the mouthpiece of God. So, so these guys or these gals, all they did was speak what God gave them to speak. So we really can't blame Jeremiah for being such a, you know, such a negative person. God gave him these messages, but he lived in those last 40 years of the reign of Israel, just before Babylon came and defeated them, destroyed the city, even destroyed the temple. Those are the 40 years that he's talking. So it's bad news, it's bad news, it's bad news, and then they get destroyed. I mean, this is about as bad as they can get. You think we got it bad. As he's writing the words that we're just about to read in a minute, the the Babylonians, that, that was the enemy, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the bad king, whatever. They were actually pounding on the gates of the city. They were building ramparts and ladders to climb over the walls. They were this close to destroying his city. Not only that, these are the last 40 years of the reign. They knew the end was coming. Not only that, this, this guy, he had been such a Debbie Downer <laughs> that the king of Israel, he had actually thrown Jeremiah in prison. He said, listen, it's bad enough, Jeremiah. We all know how bad it is. We all know how we've started this downward spiral and it doesn't seem to end. And at the end, we're going to be destroyed and they're going to cut my head off. But you keep preaching all this negative news. Come on, don't you have anything a little peppier? And he didn't, so he threw him in prison. All this was happening, and it couldn't have gotten any worse. And then right in the middle, actually not even in the middle, it wasn't until chapter 32, I mean almost to the end, suddenly in the midst of all of this bad stuff where you think there's no more hope, it couldn't get any worse, God sends a message of hope. I mean, look at verse 30, uh, chapter 32. Just, we'll, we'll read the, our text in a minute. But in chapter 32, just before our text, God says to him, hey, listen, I want you to start buying land. And, and Jeremiah's like, what? Buying land? That's the last thing I have in mind. We're about to get destroyed. The land will be worthless. And God says, no, buy land. I want you to invest. There's going to be a future right there where you live. I mean, that's like, like you folks up from, from Minnesota and, and, and New York. When we finally hear that Canada's had enough and they're invading America, you guys are the first to go. I wouldn't buy a piece of land in Minnesota for nothing. It's going to be destroyed. And yet, this is exactly what God tells them to do. And then also in chapter 33, again, he says, and we will hear mirth and merriment in the streets. We'll hear brides and grooms celebrating their weddings in the streets. And they're like, you're crazy. First of all, we've never heard this positive side of you, Jeremiah. And second of all, do you hear who's on the doors banging to get in? There is no hope. 
Forget it. It's over. And then chapter 33, the part that we're getting to today, God's promise is to fulfill an old, old promise. Folks, you and I are in a position probably not too different than Israel thousands of years ago. The downward spiral that our culture, that our world is going through for all different kinds of reasons that we don't need to get into now, but all different kinds of reasons we think there is no hope. How in the world could a preacher get up there and talk about hope in a time like this? All you need to do is walk out the door, turn on any television station with news station with any kind of letters in the front, and it's all going to be more bad news. How can you talk about hope? And yet God gave a word of hope to them, and I believe God is giving us that same word of hope. So listen as we read read in Jeremiah. If you, have your, if you have your cell phone, you can aim it at the QR code in front of you. It'll open up the sermon notes and also the Bible text. You can check it out behind me on the screen. But we are in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 14. Let me read this. This is one of, one of, one of the hundreds, literally hundreds of Old Testament prophecies about the coming Christ and his ministry, even his death. This is what we focus on, on the the week of hope in, in the Advent season, what folks thousands of years ago were hoping because of the coming Christ. Look at uh, Jeremiah 33, verse 14. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout up from David's line. He will do what is good and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is a name by which it will be called. He will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. All right, let's just focus on that. This is, like I said, just one of the hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that that give us hope. These folks never saw that, but in hope, they believe that. We have seen that, and now we take this hope. We find this hope. We maintain this hope, and I believe it is on us to then share this hope with folks we come in contact with. Let's let's see what that would look like. Before we get any further, let's let's talk about that word hope for just a second. In, In our culture, in our society, in our language here in America, that word hope really means kind of like a a wish or wishful thinking, maybe a dream. You know, I I hope it doesn't rain on Saturday because we're going out on the boat. I hope my wife likes her present. You know, I've made her another macaroni necklace, whatever. I hope, you know, things like that we hope. It's like a wish. It's like a dream. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. That's not at all what biblical hope looks like. Biblical hope, especially the New Testament word for hope, means an, an assurance, a surety, Trusting that something that you cannot yet see with your human eyes is already there in the spiritual realm. God has spoken it and it will come. The opposite of our kind of hope, you know, wishful thinking, dreaming, the opposite of that is obviously reality. You know, don't be a dreamer, live in reality. But that's not the Bible. The opposite of biblical hope is not, you know, live in reality, but it's actually despair. To, to, to believe that uh, you, uh, there's nothing that's going to get better, you're, you're apathetic, there's a despondency that creeps into your life. Like, it's not only a bad week or, or a bad year, uh, but this is a bad decade, and it's never getting better. It's not even worth getting out of bed. That's the opposite of biblical despair, uh, of hope, sorry, that kind of despair. And God is saying, no, in the midst of that, the very first word is, look. Now, I don't know if it had it 
Yeah, in, in a lot of the translate you may have in your Bible, the word behold or even lo, if you're one of the old-fashioned King James guys or gals, that's that old word. In a lot of the modern English translations, they don't even throw that word in. It's in the old Hebrew Bible, but we don't say it today. Behold and, and lo, that's kind of, a, kind of a throwaway word for us, but it's super important. We can't throw this word away. God is saying to us, look, open your eyes. Right in front of your face, your human eyes might not yet see it, but I am already there. I am already at work. Where you see my hand working, that is automatically an invitation for you to drop everything you're doing, everything that you think is important, and be involved in what I'm doing. Behold, look, the days are coming, not yet here, not yet able to see with our human eyes, but in our spiritual eyes, they're already there. And then God says, I will fulfill. And this is an interesting word, fulfill. The, the Hebrew translation for that word fulfill is not like to, to do or make happen. The translation for the word fulfill is to stand up. But God, you, big deal. You stand up all the time in front of me. You're always standing. You're big and strong. I, I run to you. You are a strong tower. You're not sitting down waiting for things to happen. You're a stand-up kind of a guy. What do you mean you will stand up? God's, you remember that old-fashioned saying, someone stands by their promises? Someone stands by their word? I don't know about you, but the world I live in, those kind of guys and gals are hard to find. Those kind of guys or gals that, that say they're going to do something and then, and then they actually do it. Kind of companies that promise to finish a work project on time and then they don't. Well, sorry, no pointing of fingers, but the, 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 kind, the, kind of, the kind of people that promise to fulfill a commitment or a, a contract or a covenant till death do us part. And then they don't. God ain't like that. God says, I will stand by my word. I will stand up. And when he does, you will know. But hope, this hope must be found. We must look to that. We must look to him. It is a command to look, but to look expectantly. Hope and faith is here intertwined. Uh, hope and a faith is the assurance of things not yet seen. In our world, we live in a world of instant gratification. That is not biblical. That is not biblical. In fact, if anything, the idea of uh, delayed gratification is biblical. God uses those times of waiting, of, of waiting in expectation and anticipation to do something in our hearts, to, to mold our hearts, to teach us things that we can't learn if he just stands there like an old nice grandpa, an old nice uncle in the sky, giving us every wish and every whim we ask for. And in that waiting is when we know him. In fact, Isaiah 40, 31 says it this way, those who hope or wait in the Lord will, one, renew their strength. Two, they will soar on wings as eagles. And three, they will run and not grow weary. And four, they will walk and not grow faint. This is what happens in the waiting. But God says, you need to look for. We need to look for our hope. Second of all, God's calling us to maintain that hope. Look at verse 15. Maintain that hope. In those days... And at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout up from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. This is commanded obedience, not just to find hope, but to maintain that hope and to have that hope at all times. This is bigger than, than God just blessing us with, with prosperity or blessing us with his protection or blessing us with a few nice little gifts that help us make it till the end of the month. This is bigger than all of that. This is God saying, I want to be intimately 
intricately involved in you in your life. Uh, my presence will sprout up right in your midst. I will lead you right from the middle of you. He wants to see us grow and develop, but from the inside, not the outside. This picture of a sprout growing up from a, a, from a chopped off tree stump, that's, that's a very typical. You see that in Isaiah, again here in Jeremiah and other places, all throughout the Old Testament. This is kind of a picture of the coming Messiah. Why? Well, uh, you, you, it's not just this story about the people of God, but, but the Israelites were continuing. They were in this nonstop cycle of, of coming back to God and then falling away from God, then coming back to God, then falling away from God, then coming back to God and falling away. Clearly, this is one of those times when they had fallen away from God. Why? Well, all the different things that were in their life, they, they chose to follow idols, and that distracted them from their one true love, God. They, they decided to, to intermarry and, and bring other cultures in, and that in and of itself is not bad. But when they ascribe worth and honor and, and respect and, and raise those other things higher than the relationship with their God, it brings death and, and dryness. And then, of course, inside their midst, there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were teaching all kinds of wacky things about, oh, the form and the function is more important than the relationship. I mean, all kind of stuff was going on, all kind of reasons why their faith was dead. It was dried up. There was no life. If you looked at it from a distance or even walked up and took a look real close, clearly someone had chopped it off and there's nothing there but a dead stump. Nothing can grow from that dead stump. And then God says, I will bring a new branch and it will grow precisely from that dead stump. It will bring righteousness and justice. It will do the right thing. It will fix the dead things. It will bring back to life the dead things and fix the broken things right from that stump. Folks, here's the deal. You and I, today, are that dead stump. We've allowed all kinds of things to enter our life. We've invited some of those things in. We've allowed some of those things to creep in. We've been distracted by other things. If someone were to look at our spiritual life, they would say that's nothing more than a dead stump. What does God do? Does he chop it off and send in the grinder? No, he says right in the midst of that, in your dead state, in your cold state, in your distant state, I will grow up right from within you. I will take that foundation that you and I built together, that foundation that maybe you built with your grandma, with your parents, with your spouse in the early days, with your kids in the early days. I will take that foundation. I will grow up right from, from among that because I want to be right in your midst. God wants to take that foundation that he started with you and start new, doing the right things, putting things back together that are broken and falling apart. Then thirdly, God says he wants us to share this hope. What would that look like? Look at verse 16. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Again, God is not only calling us to find that hope or even to maintain that hope in our own lives or lives of our family, but he's also calling us to share this hope with others, this hope that you and I have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a commanded obedience, an opportunity to share that which we have. In those days, he says, three different times, in each of these verses, God's talking about future things. In that time, in that day, in those days, every single time, he's talking about future things. These are things we cannot yet have in our physical hands. It is a faith step. It is a step of obedience. God, I cannot see it with my human eyes, 
but I'm trusting you with my spiritual eyes. I know that it's there because you have commanded. It means that it's a future promise yet to be present in reality. And what is it? Saved and secure. Let me unpack those two words for you real quick. The idea of being saved is the idea of being delivered. Pulled out of a bad situation. You ever been in a bad situation? Physically? Emotionally? Spiritually? Yeah. Maybe you got yourself into that situation. Maybe someone else did it to you. It really doesn't matter. When you're in that bad situation and you can't get out, it really really doesn't matter how you got there. You just want out. And you come to a point, many of us in this room came to a point, we said, I know I'm in a bad way. And I know I need to get out. But I don't know how to get out. Bing, 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 bing. Here comes our Savior. The only one that can pull us out of that bad situation. The only one that can deliver us from our problems, from our sickness, from our pain, from our fear, from our anxiety. The only one that can pull us out of our lostness. This isn't just for today and tomorrow and even for the rest of our lives. We're talking about eternal kind of salvation. Where do you find that in the world? Only through God. But then he also promises security or your Bible might say safety. What does that mean? He's going to keep us safe? He's going to protect us? Nothing bad will ever happen to us? Well, actually, the Hebrew word means that you will dwell in peace. What does that mean? Well, let's think back for, for, to the time when Je- Jeremiah was writing. Uh, folks lived in a very precarious situation. Some of them, sure enough, did live in a city with walls around it, but many did not. They were nomads, or they lived out in the country. They lived in simple homes. Many, many, many of them lived in tents. The enemy was very close, whether it was a simple robber or a band of thieves or a a marauding enemy army uh, coming to take not only what they had, but even their very lives. They lived very close to death at all times. And God is saying, no, 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 you will dwell in peace. The only way you could have dwelled in peace was if there was an arm of protection, not just a, a mighty tower, but a mighty armor, and one who is more powerful than all of your enemies standing over you and saying, no one is going to touch this guy. No one is going to lay a finger on this girl. And this is what God is saying. You will dwell in peace. You will have that that sense that everything has been moved into place. Everything is just right around you. That kind of shalom peace that we only encounter with God. That is what he is promising you. Now you take the idea of being saved out of your very horrible, terrible situation and being able to live in peace, not just for today and the rest of your life, but for all eternity. Where in the world are you going to find that outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ? The answer is nowhere. I mean, a lot of times we Christians, we say, well, you know, we can share our faith just by being good people. Well, let's just be really, really good. And the folks out there, they're going to see our goodness and they're going to want to come and be a part of what we're doing. Well, I mean, that's fine. And it is true. You all are good folks. And, you know, you're pretty much on, on a good day, you're pretty upstanding. And that's a very attractive but there's also good folks and upstanding folks out there. You might say, no, 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 it's not just that. It's, it's about what if we were really generous folks, and, and if we just keep giving stuff away, they're going to want to come be a part of it. Well, that's true. You are generous, and that's good, but there's also generous folks out there. What if we're super, super kind, and we're really nice people? That will attract them, and that's how we'll share the gospel. Well, that's good, and you are nice, and you are kind, but there's also nice 
and kind people out there. The only thing that we as believers in Jesus Christ have that the world does not know is this idea of salvation and dwelling in peace. Because this isn't just for today and tomorrow, even for the rest of our lives here on earth. This is for all eternity. And this is what we have, and this is what God is calling us to share with those who do not yet have it. God is our righteousness. He will come, and he will make things right. God will come, and he will put things back where they belong, where they were intended to be. God will fix the broken things in your life and mine and in the lives of our friends and our neighbors. This is the hope that we share. In closing, let me point us back to a New Testament verse. In fact, you, if you were a part of our Wednesday night children's activity, you probably have already memorized this verse. It's Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. And we have, we have, we hold on to because we already have this hope like an anchor for our souls, this gospel hope. And that's actually why they adopted it as the motto for their, for their entire children's ministry, Hebrews 6.19. We call it Wednesday night, 6.19. We even start at 6.19 p.m. so the kids really understand the importance of this verse. This is key for us. We have this hope. It is not something only that we hope for, but we already have, and that which we have, we share. If you've ever seen our church's logo, it's an anchor. Uh, it comes, obviously, from this verse. This, this hope that we have is like an anchor for our soul. When we first found that anchor, it took a long time to really find the right one. I was kind of picky about that. I, I'm not usually picky about things like that, but that I was super picky. And the, the young lady that was kind of helping us with graphic design she said, how about this one? How about this one? I said, no, 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 that looks too new. No, that one looks too clean. That one looks too good. I want something a little rougher, we finally finished, in fact, when you walk out, you, you, you'll see it on all of our little advertisements. You'll see that little uh, anchor, and every single person has come after that young lady to help us with graphic design. They say, well, pastor, there's one thing. Why don't I help you find a new anchor? That one looks so old and beat up and rough and scratched and nicked. Let's find us a nice, new, pretty anchor. Boaters, sea captains, when do you need an anchor? On a calm day, pulling up to a pretty beach with no waves? Or do you need an anchor on a stormy day with big waves and big storm? You, put, you know an anchor's working when it's in the water, in the bottom, holding on for dear life to rocks and coral and sludge and muck and sand. And you know that anchor's working when in the middle of the storm it is holding on tight and you're not moving at all. You know when the anchor's working when it's got nicks and scratches and dings and bumps. You know that's a good anchor, a well-used anchor. This is the anchor that we have. It's not a pretty little anchor that we wear around our necks that has to be perfect and pristine and sand sanitized for the whole world to see, to see, but we need an anchor that holds in the midst of a storm. And this anchor we have, the Bible says, that goes all the way back behind the curtain, the presence of God, and it holds there where he will never, ever, ever let us go. This is a hope that we have. This is a hope that we share. Folks, as long as I've been alive, I don't know any other time where hope was in such short supply. The world has things and they have stuff 
and they have ideas, and they have even possibilities. But true hope, especially eternal hope, is only found in Jesus. A stark contrast between what we as believers have and how little the world has, has never before, except maybe in the time of Jeremiah, been so radically clear. Folks, if we do not share this hope with our world, I can't imagine what in the world we will talk about next year on First Advent. Folks, now is the time. Find that hope, maintain that hope, and share that hope with a lost and a dying world. Let's pray. Father God, you are a God of hope, and all throughout the scripture we read about the hope that you give, the change that you give, the renewed life that you give, the new opportunity, the first, second, third, 19th, 10 millionth chance that you give. God, I'm so excited for our people to know and find that hope, maintain and grow that hope. But Father, especially to have the opportunity this Advent Christmas season to share that hope with others. God, embolden us, give us the words and the opportunity to share that hope in a kind, loving, and normal way with our friends, our family, and our neighbors. Thank you, Jesus, for the hope we have found. Encourage us and embolden us as we share that hope with others. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.